G'day. Today's Bible reading comes from Revelation 1, uh, verses 1 to 20. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before this throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the, and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, as Bell said, my name is Jack. I'm the associate pastor here if I haven't met you before. Uh, and this morning's a very first morning in a, in a brand new series looking at the book of Revelation together. Uh, as Belle said, I'll be looking at the first three verses, so we're going to start talking really slowly from now. So, In verse 1, no, it's not going to be that slow, uh, but Revelation, big, big book to be covering. We're going to be doing it, uh, just the first five chapters actually throughout this year, and then we'll return we'll to it hopefully uh, next year as well to continue looking through Revelation. But I have a question for everyone as we, as we get going, as we look at this great book. 
And that question is this. Uh, how do you feel about reading the book of Revelation? How do you feel about, about coming to this book and reading it? I don't know if this is going to resonate with all of you, but, but there are some books in the Bible uh, that I think feel a little bit like, like having to take cough syrup as a child and medicine. They're just, it's quite hard to swallow. Um, so that there are a lot of books in the Bible that are like that. Um, you you kind of like, you know it's good for you to take. Mum and Dad have said it's good for you to take, so you take the cough syrup. But like, man, it can be really hard to swallow. Well, for me, I think Revelation, and for a lot of us, it kind of feels like getting your whole head dunked into a bucket of cough syrup, and you're just kind of told, like, drink up, this is going to be good for you. Uh, firstly, because it's one of those books that makes us a little bit nervous. Uh, there's such strange imagery in this book, isn't there? We've read, we've read some of that in chapter 1 already, with the Son of Man being there, uh, with, with a sword hanging out of his mouth. I mean, what, what's going on with that? And then in, in chapter 5, we see a lamb that looks like it's been slain, but is somehow uh, alive at the same time. And then we get to see, like, a, there's a dragon as well that pops up in chapter 12, and, and, a, um, and a woman who's clothed with the sun. There's all this big, kind of strange imagery to wrap our heads around, so it can make us a bit nervous for that reason. Uh, secondly, Revelation can be hard to approach reading because of some of the people that we might have met who make some pretty um, strange claims based on the book of Revelation. Uh, I remember uh, someone trying to convince me when I was at university that based on their reading of Revelation and some of the goings-on in Russia in the world at the time, they'd actually figured out that Jesus was going to return within the next 50 years. Uh, all based on their reading of Revelation. I'll just say from the outset, this is, this is the wrong way to kind of interpret Revelation. We'll be thinking through the right way a bit later on. Uh, but it can make us nervous because of some of the, the really huge uh, claims that different people have made based on their readings of Revelation. Uh, thirdly, Revelation can make us quite nervous because, uh, let's be honest, it's just kind of weird. Uh, and it's hard to make sense of what's going on. And when, when one of our friends who might not be a Christian starts looking into the Bible, it's one of those books we get really nervous to get questions about, isn't it? Uh, they might say, like, Jack, I've been, I've been reading through Revelation. And you go, yeah, but have you read through John 6, uh, 3.16? It's like, that's so much better. Just read that. That's who's better for you. Um, it can make us really uncomfortable for that reason as well. So, so coming to read the book of Revelation feels a bit like drinking cough syrup. We know it's good for us because it's in the Bible. This is God's word to us, but it can be kind of hard to swallow. But can I say, the, uh, the more time we spend in it together, the less it's going to feel like that. And the more it's going to feel like the book it's meant to be, one that should fill us to bursting with excitement and praise of God and who He is, uh, one that should lift our eyes to God's sovereignty and to Jesus' final victory over sin, death, and over evil. Uh, now, this book will make us feel uncomfortable. There will be parts of it that are quite hard to swallow, but it's for all the right reasons as it pushes us to think about who God is and what our response to Him should be. Uh, we read in verse 3 this morning that, that reading Revelation and taking its words to heart brings blessing. Uh, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And that's really the, the, the big idea that we're looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at why this is the case in the book of Revelation. Uh, I've found listening to Andrew Heard from EV Church in the Central Coast to be really helpful as I've prepared for this series, and especially for this first sermon. I've also found someone who many of you know, Cam Maxwell from Trinity Church Candlelight Gardens, to be really helpful. He sent through a bunch of resources and commentaries that have helped shape this series, and I'm leaning heavily onto work that he's put into. So if you'd like to keep digging into Revelation, can I encourage you to uh, hunt down those churches online, check out those series there as well. Uh, well, this morning we actually have uh, quite a lot of ground to cover as we begin reading through Revelation together. 
Uh, we've read through all of chapter 1 this morning, but as Belle said, we're focusing uh, particularly on those first three verses today, and then we're going to return to chapter 1 again next week. Uh, why? Because the first three verses help us know what to expect as we open up Revelation. They help us know why Revelation was actually written. And they help us understand why Revelation is a blessing for us as we read it. If you have an outline in front of you that you got on the leaflet, you'll see that it says, firstly, what to expect. Um, In the start of verse 4, we read that Revelation was actually written to a group of Christians in Asia, in an area which is now modern-day Turkey. If you look forward a few verses to verse 11, you can read about who those churches are. There are seven of them that we just read out. So as we come to read Revelation for ourselves, uh, we know that this was actually written to a real group of people, a people who lived 2,000 years ago in a real place with a different culture and language and a very different experience of life to us. Uh, So Revelation, first and foremost, it wasn't actually written directly to us. It was written to them 2,000 years ago. Uh, But as we do know, Revelation is a book that has been written for us, if not directly to us, as those servants of God in verse 1, who all of Scripture has been written for to help us know and live for God. So it is for us, if not written directly to us 2,000 years ago. But as this is something that was written to a group of people who lived in, uh, within a different culture to us and were amidst very different life circumstances, well, we need to understand what it meant for them 2,000 years ago before we can understand it for ourselves. Uh, why? Because Revelation cannot mean for us today what it did not mean for them back then. I'll say that again. Revelation cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Now, whereas this might mean that some of the language, the imagery, and the symbolism that exists in Revelation, it goes way over our head, uh, this wasn't actually the case for those first recipients of the letter. God sent this book to a real people in a real time using language, symbols, and imagery that they would have understood really well, and that would have made sense to them. So it makes sense for us to try to read Revelation as closely as possible through their eyes so that we can understand how to make sense of some of this imagery and this symbolism and language for ourselves as well. So we're going to spend some time now trying to wrap our heads around what the book of Revelation actually is and what we can expect to come across as we come to reading it. Uh, Well, Revelation, it's one of the first words that appears in verse 1. Revelation, it's, it's a translation uh, of a Greek word that, that we, we'd say apocalypse. That's what it's translating from, apocalypse. Uh, now, we, we have all sorts of different connotations and ideas around this word. This word. It's, it's usually kind of about movies that depict war and depict the end of the world coming on. That's usually what we think when we see the word apocalypse. Um, but this is actually its literal meaning, revelation or unveiling. Um, take this door here as an example of revelation. You have absolutely no idea what's behind the door. Now, I do, uh, but you don't. And without my help, you're not going to know what's behind this door unless I show you. All right, so we've got a door. Any guesses? No, okay. So unless I show you what's behind you're not going to know what's behind it. And then when I open up, you see Sandy the Scarecrow just hanging out there behind the door. Hey, how are you going? I'm good, thanks. Oh, that's great. He's going very well, everyone. That's good. But unless I open that door, you're not going to know that Sandy's just hanging out there having a holiday from his time on the farm. You're not going to know that without my help. Now, the idea behind the book of Revelation is that God is opening a door for us uh, to look through. He's wanting to show us something that is true. That's what Revelation is. It's a revealing of something. 
And unless God reveals this thing to us, we won't know what it is. That's what we're reading in verse 1. See, Revelation is God opening up the door for us to look through, to see something that is true that God wants us to know. But Revelation, it also sits in its own kind of unique genre. Now, just so that we're on the same page about what genre is, I want you to imagine with me, it's a really nice Saturday afternoon. You just sat down on the couch, you finally have some peace and quiet, so you turn on the TV and you switch on Netflix. Now, as you scroll down the screen on Netflix, you see a whole range of different movie categories or genres. You see action movies, romance movies, horror movies, comedy documentaries, and you look through the romance section, and, and you know what to expect from the romance section, right? You know, boy meets girl, or girl meets boy, and happily ever after. That's the romance section. You know you're going to get it. That's what to expect. You look through the horror section, uh, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, and they both get eaten by a monster. Okay, that's, that's horror, right? You know what to expect. Or there's the a- action section, uh, boy meets girl, girl meets boy, explosions. Okay. You know what you're going to get. Well, 2,000 years ago, when the church in Asia was scrolling through Netflix, uh, they would have scrolled past action, past romance, past horror, and then they would have come to a section in Netflix called this, apocalyptic literature, and whereas we might go, ah, what's that? They go, ah, okay, I know exactly what to expect with this. They would have done this because it was a really well-known category for them back then. Uh, There are other books like this in the Bible that they would have been familiar with in the Old Testament. Other uh, writings that we'd call apocalyptic literature as well. If we read Zechariah or Daniel or Ezekiel, we will come across this same kind of genre. So someone a couple of thousand years ago, they would have picked up a book from the library or clicked on that movie on Netflix that said it was apocalyptic literature and they would have understood exactly what to expect. And what they would expect to read about is this how the hidden supernatural world actually becomes visible. Because that's what apocalyptic literature is about. How the hidden supernatural world is revealed and how it impacts our world today. Uh, Thomas Schreiner writes that in apocalyptic literature we can expect a couple of things, but we can expect this. We can expect a divine disclosure to be given. Uh, What that means is there's an angel who will appear to someone in a vision uh, and they will, they will take them in that vision somewhere else that, that no one can see. Um, and, and where they are there is where the supernatural world is revealed to them and how it impacts our world in both the present and the future. Now, it's kind of um, a bit complicated there. So I'll just, I think an easier way to, to think about this is to remember this phrase. Revelation gives us a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. That's the phrase to remember. Revelation gives us a heavenly perspective on present earthly circumstances. It helps us understand what's going on in the background to what we can see in our world. It's God opening up the door and inviting us to look through. Uh, And those who wrote about what had been revealed to them in these visions and and what they'd seen, well, they did so in in a specific way. They did so through the use of symbolism. They used symbols that those people that they were writing to would have understood really, really clearly and well. These symbols would have held ideas and history and feelings even that we don't necessarily feel today when we look at those same symbols. Uh, An example to help us think through what this looks like comes from Andrew Hurd from EV Church. He uses political cartoons as an example of symbols at that point to something else. Uh, If we're looking at a political cartoon about Russia, what animal do you think might be used? A bear, absolutely. If we're looking at uh, America, an eagle, what about Australia? 
a drop bear, guys. Obviously, it's a drop bear. No, you'd, you'd think a kangaroo or an emu or a koala or something like that. But, but we'd see that symbol and we would understand who it refers to. We'd understand some of the history behind that symbol, some of the feelings that are captured within that symbol as well, so we'd know what it's referring to. Well, it's the same in the book of Revelation. The original readers would have known who or what the symbols being used were pointing to or represented. For example, we read the number seven three times in chapter one today. The number seven to the original audiences, it held a really special meaning. Uh, And the meaning uh, of the number seven as, as a symbol that stems from God's resting on the seventh day after his work of creating. See, the number seven came to symbolize something being complete or, or whole. So when we read the number seven in this first chapter, we see that it's written to, to seven churches. And we know that, yes, this, so this was written to seven real churches back 2,000 years ago. But we also know that it's symbolism. See, on another level, symbolically, this number uh, representing wholeness actually means that this is for God's whole church to be reading together, not just for those seven churches. There would have been way more than seven churches in Asia back then. So Revelation holds all sorts of symbols for us to grapple with and think through as we go. Uh, But when I was reading up on a commentary from Thomas Schreiner, I found this comment particularly helpful when thinking through this. Um, There's going to be a quote on the screen. It's quite big, but he writes this. The symbolism of the book, it actually should produce humility in us as interpreters, for we must confess we don't always know how to interpret the symbols. In any case, the most important background for interpreting the book is not the newspaper, as I said before, it's not the outside world and events that are happening in history, it's it's the Old Testament. For Revelation is infused with Old Testament allusions. Virtually every line of the book echoes the Old Testament witness. Hence the fundamental reason some interpreters go astray is that they don't anchor their reading of Revelation in the Old Testament. Now, I think this comment is helpful because it points us back to Scripture God's Word, to help us interpret God's Word and to do so with humility, uh, recognizing that we need guidance to understand God's Word from God Himself. It also helps point us to the importance of the Old Testament for understanding Revelation, uh, particularly because Revelation is not just composed of that one genre found in the Old Testament, apocalyptic literature, uh, but it's also a prophecy. we read that in verse 3 today. It's a prophecy. Blessed are those who read this prophecy. Now, I won't talk about prophecy for as long as I did apocalyptic literature, but it's helpful to understand something about uh, prophecy or prophetic literature. The prophecy in the Old Testament, uh, or prophets rather in the Old Testament, were the mouthpieces of God to his people. God would reveal through prophets how he was going to act toward his people and what they could expect. Now, it wasn't just kind of fortune-telling, uh, but this was, which was God, the living God letting his people know what to expect in the future from God and how he was going to act. See, when we read Revelation, we are reading the fulfillment of much of the Old Testament prophets as we go. So it's important for us to have a handle on some of the Old Testament prophets. So we'll be coming back to them throughout this series quite a lot. But we're also reading what to expect in the future from God when we read prophecy. Now, something that becomes uh, clear throughout the Bible and in Revelation itself is that all of prophecy was actually fulfilled in one place or fulfilled in one person, and that's Jesus. Later on in Revelation, we read these uh, these words in chapter 19, verse 11. We read this. It is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. 
It is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I heard it said that if you want to find a church that is spiritual, or if you want to find a church that is prophetic, well, find a church that keeps testifying to who Jesus is. Why is this important for us to know about the book of Revelation? Well, it's important because if the book of Revelation is prophetic, then we can expect that Revelation is going to be all about Jesus. So Revelation is a book in which God gives us that heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances, both present and future, and it's a book that testifies to Jesus. This is what Revelation is. This is what we can know to expect as we read it as we go, and hopefully it's not going to freak us out uh, too much when we come to some of that really big imagery. We've looked at what to expect and what Revelation is, but, but why was it written? Now, to help us understand uh, this, we're going to look at point two, brothers and sisters of the past. Uh, you might already know this, but it's really important to understand as we come to reading Revelation, uh, that the Roman Empire was the global power uh, 2,000 years ago. And Romans, in the Roman Empire, they worshipped a multitude of gods. There was a god of everything. You sacrificed to different gods to have good crops, or to grow your family, or to keep you safe, or to win wars. Uh, You especially sacrificed to the gods to make sure that they didn't get angry at you and cause misfortune to fall upon your head. But Christians who lived in the Roman Empire, they didn't live this way. They worshipped the one true God, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They followed and trusted in Jesus and Him alone. So if you were Roman back in the day, having Christians living amongst you, that was totally fine, that was cool, until you started to realize that actually they could be really offending your gods because they're refusing to bow down to them. And well, that's not good for business at all. That's not good for anything you had to sacrifice to your gods for. See, Christians were offending your gods, so you had to put a stop to it so misfortune didn't fall upon your own head. Uh, so because of this, Christians were persecuted, and really badly. And we read throughout Revelation that our brothers and sisters of the past suffered terribly for what they believed about God and about everyone's need to turn to Jesus in order to be saved from sin and made right with Him. They were hated for trying to tell others about Jesus. And this theme of suffering and persecution, um, it comes up again and again in Revelation. Now, John actually wrote this letter we read in chapter 1, verse 9, after he'd been cast out onto a small island because of his faith in Jesus. And then just the chapter later, uh, we read of a Christian called Antipas, a Christian in Pergamum, who was put to death because he followed Jesus. And then just on and on it goes in Revelation as we read uh, persecution and suffering of Christians, uh, all because they follow Jesus. But this helps us understand why Revelation was written and helps to draw some of that really big imagery in that we're reading. Because Revelation was written to help God's people uh, understand what's going on with this opposition against God and the persecution of His people. Remember, Revelation gives a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstance. It opens the door and helps us see what's going on. And part of the heavenly perspective we get in Revelation is of a great battle being waged between God and those who oppose Him. And we also see the fate of those who stand on either side of the battle. I'll say it again. In Revelation, we see that there is a great battle being waged between God and those who oppose Him. And we see the fate of those who stand on either side of the battle. If you want to look forward in the week, uh, go to Revelation 12, and that gives you a really big picture of this. Well, Christians 2,000 years ago, they were feeling this keenly as they read Revelation because they were on God's side 
And so they were feeling opposition. They were persecuted. Uh, But God wanted them to know that what they were going through, it wasn't actually a surprise. This is something to be expected. Because those who oppose God, well, they don't want anyone to be on God's side. So Revelation was written uh, to God's people, to, to us, to help us understand the conflict against God and where we stand in relation to this conflict as well. That's only one reason that Revelation was written. Uh, and if it was the only one, that would be super bleak, wouldn't it? Kind of, hey, you guys are going to suffer. The end. But that's not all there is to Revelation. See, Revelation is also written to remind Christians of the greatest victory of all. A victory already claimed by Jesus. His victory over sin and death and evil. So that even amidst the trials of life, we might rejoice because our Saviour Jesus has already won the war. And it's all because of the cross. In Revelation chapter 5, which is the last chapter we'll be looking at in this, this section this year, we read of a scene unfolding in the throne room of God. And we read of a scroll being there with seven seals that are holding the scroll shut. Now, this is symbolic of God's redemptive plan in history to save mankind. But there's a problem. No one can break the seals, John sees. And so humanity remains doomed because of sin to remain God's enemies and to be cut off from him for eternity. And John weeps because it seems as though nothing can be done about it at all. Humanity is doomed. But then we read this from John. He says, One of the elders that was in the throne room says to him, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So John looks and sees a lamb looking as though it had been slain, take up the scroll, break its seals. And in the throne room of God, this new song just bursts forth as we read this. You alone are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, Jesus' victory on the cross means he won once and for all the victory against sin and against death and against evil. Jesus' victory on the cross means that any who trust in and follow him, well, they're on God's side now and God will never let them go. They're purchased for God by the blood of Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Jesus has won the ultimate victory, even though we read in Revelation that a battle yet rages. See, Satan continues to rage against God and to try to turn people against him. But while we see this battle raging in Revelation, well, we know all along as we're reading it that his fate is secured, it's sealed, he's been defeated. So it isn't actually a battle to determine an outcome. See, what we read in Revelation is that this battle is actually just the death throes of a serpent who's had its head chopped off, yet who continues to be dangerous for a while. That's what we see in Revelation. Victory is secure. So in Revelation, while Christians can expect the hard times they will face, we're also reminded of the finality of Jesus' victory, and we're called to stand firm in our trust in Him that will come up again and again, to persevere despite the trials we face, because we know Jesus has won already, and that we share in His victory right now, today, reigning with Him as victors if we trust in Him. So lastly, point three, blessed are those who read. 
imagine with me, you're sitting in a cafe when you hear uh, a loud voice over the speaker uh, and it says this, okay, in five minutes, the cafe is going to fill up with a deadly gas and if you breathe it in, you're going to die. Okay, it's a pretty bleak picture, but just bear with me. Okay, you've heard that message, so what are you going to do? You're obviously going to get up and you're going to run out of the cafe. You're not going to want to stay in there at all. You've got the warning, so you run. See, hearing something kind of results in an action, in a response to what we've heard, doesn't it? And that's what Revelation 1 verse 3 is getting at. Just park the deadly gas to the side though. That's what Revelation 1 3 is getting at. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. See, reading Revelation is a blessing because it reminds us of God's victory. That's what we're reading of. His victory over evil once and for all, over sin and over death. And Jesus' place as that victor, as our king. It affirms that we can trust in Jesus and that he is worthy of our praise, our adoration and our lives. But it also blesses us because as we read Revelation, it helps us align our lives with our Saviour and our Lord, with our victorious King, when we take these words to heart and obey how God calls us to live before him in them, to stand firm, trusting in Jesus' victory. Uh, Now, it goes kind of without saying that life for us is very different to the lives of our brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago, who this book was written to. Uh, But the reality of what we read in Revelation, of the death throes of of this serpent, of Satan, as he opposes a victorious God, uh, it's still something that continues today. So just as our brothers and sisters of the past could expect to face things that will turn them away from God, uh, well, we can also expect that to happen to us today. For our brothers and sisters back then, it was more often than not obvious what those things were. Uh, they were being persecuted, so if you trusted in Jesus, people would try to kill you. So it's kind of uh, obvious what the danger is for you there. So as we'll start to see in a, in a couple of weeks, um, as we look at the letters to the churches, it wasn't always the case. But for us, it's not quite as obvious. See, on the road to Jesus as we follow him, It's unlikely to be something or someone jumping out onto the footpath and saying, stop following Jesus or else that we're in danger of. Although it's definitely a possibility, but more likely than not here in the Western world, that's not going to happen to us. I think more likely what it will be are the voices from the side of the road saying, hey, you come over here. I've got something way better for you than Jesus, way better than what's down that road. And there are distractions all around us that could turn us away from God. We're going to spend time exploring what those things are in the coming weeks. Um, Now, if you're listening to this sermon and and you're not a follower of Jesus, there are some pretty big ideas that we've kind of opened up and thrown out there this morning. Uh, Can I invite you, please keep coming back to hear how we're going to unpack this book as a church. Uh, Because if there's one thing I hope that has stood out from this morning, it's that you have a God who wants you to know him and who wants you on his side and that that's what's best for you. So please keep coming along and please ask questions. Ask myself or Carl or Lou or anyone on the staff team or ask a friend that maybe you come to church with because these are the most important questions that you'll ever ask in your whole life. Uh, For all of us here though, right now, I'm actually going to set us some homework. Uh, Actually, we're going to start doing it right now. Um, So I want you, if you've got like a phone that you can pull out and take notes on, I want you to pull that phone out and get the notes section up. If you've got a piece of paper and a pen that you can start writing on, uh, grab that pen. Uh, There should be some pens just out there as well if you need to go run and grab one and use that. We're going to think through some questions together and spend some time reflecting on them for ourselves. 
The first question is this. What is the thing this week, this, this coming week, that might distract you from Jesus? What is it this week that might distract you from reading God's word to get to know him better and to take his words to heart? Because if Revelation shows us something, it's that Satan will use anything to distract us and turn us away from following Jesus because he's going to oppose God with everything he's got. So now it's not the time to just chill out and sit and relax. It's time to seek to take to heart God's words to us and learn what it looks like to live for him. So what is it that might distract you from doing so? That's, that's our homework. How would you answer that question? Uh, it might be that this week you need to unsubscribe from Netflix until you get in the habit of spending some more time in God's Word than in front of the TV. Maybe there's a gaming console you need to switch off and pack away for a while. It might be that you realize uh, training or being involved in that sports club that you're in, uh, it's actually starting to make it pretty impossible to meet with other Christians or gather around God's Word. So maybe something needs to change there. You might realize that those extra few hours you're spending at work are actually cutting into the only time this week that you have to speak to God and get to know Him better through His Word. Or maybe there is some sin in your life right now that you just keep giving into that you need to bring to God because it's keeping you from coming to God when it should do exactly the opposite. What's distracting you right now from Jesus? I just want to invite you to spend just a couple of minutes writing that down on a piece of paper or, or in your phone, and then I'm going to pray to finish us up for this first sermon for this series. Let me pray to finish up. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us, and thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you for the book of Revelation. Thank you that it helps us align our lives with you. Father, we ask that you would help us to learn what this looks like, that you would help us get rid of those distractions that keep us from turning to you and sitting under your word. We pray that our time in Revelation this year would uh, grow us in our knowledge and our trust in who you are as our loving, powerful, victorious God, that this would be all for your glory. Amen.